2: Hi, friends. Uh, Because we received lovely artwork from Finnick, who will not let us pay him for his artwork, we are going to instead advertise for Sloth Comics. They're working on some pretty awesome stuff, so you should definitely go to the Instagrams and check them out at sloth underscore comics. Everything is spelled correctly, no abbreviations or fun Xs. Sloth underscore comics. And give them a like and follow them. Like I said, they're working on some pretty cool stuff. If you want to see what derby skaters look like as animals, that's the place to go. If you want to see what gremlins look like when they're fighting, also the place to go. They have some books that they're working on. Definitely go check them out.
3: Welcome to Fro Pow, we're your hosts, and Rags. So this week we're really excited because we're interviewing Daryl from gotham all-stars and also from team indigenous rising um, she grew up in pennsylvania um, but her father's family is originally from taos pueblo new mexico her family is a huge powwow family which means that they would travel to dance and sing at powwows across the country she has been a jingle dress dancer Since she could walk and she used to travel all around the country but then started playing derby so she had to give up her jingle dress dancing and that's something that we talk about and I'm very interested in. Mm -hmm. But she started skating in 2012 after she saw a Gotham game and was instantly hooked and she now skates for their all-stars team which means she goes and competes at um, the roller derby championships and she also skates for a really awesome team of indigenous people called team indigenous rising who will be playing at RollerCon this summer so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself
1: sure um so my name's daryl i play roller derby with like many of our listener, your listeners i don't know why i said are <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> far, you're the best now. part of you right now um i play skate for Gotham girls roller derby. I skate for all stars and the Brooklyn bombshells. Um, I grew up, uh, I'm I'm from Pennsylvania. My family's from New Mexico. I grew up ski racing. Um, that's pretty much what I did through, um, high school and college uh, I went to a ski academy and that was really awesome and I loved it and uh, I kept, kept skiing through college but I had to stop ski racing because I got I had compressed discs in my lower back so then I found roller derby and that doesn't hurt my back <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> um, but yeah so I I've played sports growing up all through um, yeah all through growing up and then uh, after college I really was trying to find a community being here in New York. Cause it's hard being not knowing that many people and trying to find your place. So, um, yeah, I was in Coney Island and somebody was passing out flyers on the boardwalk and I was like, Oh, let's check this out. And so we went and it was amazing. And then I started skating and that was in like 2012. So now here I am, but yeah.
3: Yeah. And, um, you, I saw that you, um, said you were a jingle dress dancer, which we just watched a video of before <laughs> you came in, and I want to hear all about it because it looks really sure, cool.
1: Yeah. So my family, um, my dad's side of the family, um, is from Taos, Pueblo, New Mexico, um, and they're a big powwow family. So traveling around to powwows around the U.S., um, and all of my, basically all of my aunts and my dad dance and I've been dancing since I could pretty much walk. So Jingle Dress Dancing is um, a powwow dance. It originated with the Ojibwe people, but it's a lot of the, the dances that you see at a powwow are, um, are span like they've become more multi intertribal basically. Um, So it's even though a dance may have originated with one um, group of, one nation it has now been like uh integrated within like the bigger powwow culture okay. so but yeah because it's known as a healing dance uh, there will be a lot of ceremony around it and i think that that's true for any powwow or any type of um gathering like that so yeah that's pretty much um what I grew up doing. And even though I grew up in Pennsylvania with my mom, um, she was super awesome and helped us, uh, go to New Mexico to visit with my dad and with my family and still took us to powwows and whatnot. So that was, um, a really awesome experience growing up. And yeah, so like a lot of us now, I just slowly do (laughs) derbies. I don't have a lot of time to go to powwows right now. So it's something that, in post derby life, I'd love to be able to pick back up and be able to do when I'm really old.
3: <laughs> so, explain to people who might not understand what a powwow is, like what that might look like.
1: Sure. Yeah. A powwow is uh, basically just an intertribal celebration. So, there's what's known as like the Termination Era when a lot of um, Native nations were being wiped out or moved onto reservations, essentially. And a lot of uh, ceremonies were not allowed to be practiced, and so when that, for lack of a better phrase, ban was lifted, so a lot of the legislation around it was not there anymore. Um, people were able to start um, start ceremonies again, and so powwows were a way for multiple tribes to come together and start um, practicing. Or like celebrating, I shouldn't say practicing, celebrating, um, and sharing their dances. So this is something that a lot of Native nations now can share together, basically.
3: And I think it's really cool that even though you grew up in Pennsylvania, that you still were able to incorporate, like have a large part of your childhood be like doing all that, like (laughs) like learning about dancing and things like that. That that's really cool. Yeah. Um, cause I, Kate and I are both from Florida where there, I think is a really particular narrative around, um, indigenous yeah, people. I think my mom
1: did a really good job of raising us with a lot of awareness. And on the other hand, it was, I, I personally didn't even un- understand the nuances or like the, the problematic nature of Indian mascots, um, until like I was in like high school. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people are the same way, but, yeah. um, yeah. To me, it was like, oh, this is just something like how Native people are portrayed. Okay, this is how they're perceived in the bigger culture. And I was always very secure because of the way that my mom raised us, like knowing that that didn't represent me. But now, obviously, the problematic nature is that a lot of people see that in themselves and see this like Native people become a cartoon and can become um, too the bigger pop culture native people can become a cartoon. And mm-hmm. so um, it eradicates all of the understanding that native people are different amongst all of the different nations that exist in the U S and it isn't just this one image or these many mascot images that um, portray a stoic Indian or whatever, whatever the image may be. So yeah. you're
2: saying you're not homogenized. <laughs> what? <laughs> My mind is blown but like yeah. really honestly i mean I, I growing up in new york we learned about the iroquois and the algonquin and like i remember like having to make an iroquois house and like an sure. algonquin house and everything we had to learn about like okay here are the the tribal identities within and i think like i had i lucked out with having teachers that were at least a little bit more specific in like teaching about some tribal identities and like sure. that type of information but definitely as i got older that sort of information or that clarity fell away and everything that I had to learn was because of my own volition or because I did have a teacher that did take the time but we had to ask them to take the time because they had to worry about curriculum and other things that like we have to deal with you know yeah
3: whereas in grad school I had a teacher say a that William Penn was the first social worker b that he just like made a cool deal with the indians and like everything (laughs) was good
2: yeah we made so many white people made so many cool deals with the indians right great deal (sighs) so talking about um like indigenous people being caricatures or cartoons um in like film and everything um how do you feel like that impacted i know that like you didn't really notice it until you were in high school but like how did how do you feel like that kind of impacted people around you growing up in with these communities
1: seeing the Indian or like the Native American in pop culture in a movie and something like that is very very similar to um a seeing a mascot uh, like seeing a mascot imagery or something like that and I think that there are some differences um namely for lack of a better example, Twilight. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of <laughs> Native um, people in Twilight. And I think that to s- on the one hand, it's really super awesome to have like actual Native actors portrayed in a- on the big screen um, except for the lead actor. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not ideal. Yeah. But I think that it's, it's great to have exposure. Um, and I think that I feel like this is like stuff that I've I just think over and over and I've never really expressed so it's like I think that this is everybody's viewpoint even if like nobody has ever explicitly said it can it. be everybody's viewpoint <laughs> it should be everybody's it viewpoint should be. Um, yeah. help
2: us make it people's <laughs>
1: viewpoint but yeah I think that um taking it back to derby and sports mm-hmm. um I think that it's same thing across the board like it's really amazing to get more exposure to show more people who can can do these things who can um who do have these skills and can make these things happen so seeing somebody in a big picture in a big blockbuster movie whatever or seeing somebody being able to play on team indigenous at the world cup like i heard from a lot of my teammates like people back in their communities, like, I want to learn how to skate. I want to be a part of Team Indigenous. This is really awesome. And so just, like, I think that in general, uh, as long as the imagery is not negative, it's, like, obviously a really awesome thing to have more exposure. Right. Um, Instead of being portrayed as,
2: like, a drunk Indigenous person. Yeah. You can be strong and athletic and amazing and smart and powerful. Yes. And we need more portrayal of that. Um, just yeah uh, of just like different people. people yeah we just well we talked about this with um murder Maid. so we talked to uh a few weeks ago and we said the same thing back then you know diversity and inclusion is what gives you a better experience and mm-hmm. that's what we need as a whole in all sports but you know also in our community of derby yeah.
0: as a podcast network our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you
2: I remember when I first saw Team Indigenous Facebook page, and I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was, this so, is excited. So, I was yeah. so excited. I was so excited. So I was like, finally, somebody's, like, doing something to get representation for them.
1: Yeah. I yeah. was super excited to see that. I was also very excited.
3: <laughs> so how did Team Indigenous start? Like, where did that come from? Like, because you guys are from all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, so Team
1: Indigenous really started. um, So Mick Swagger and um, Jumpy McGee, who skates for Maine, um, were really the driving forces behind the original Team Indigenous. And it was really just a matter of like word of mouth and trying Mm -hmm. to get the word out to, hey, I know this skater. Invite them to the Facebook group type of thing. And the original, um, there was an application process and we needed to submit footage and all of that. Shebang. <laughs> you know, like you had
2: to prove almost that you were. Yeah. Indigenous? I mean,
1: we, I think for the original submission, there were, I believe around 30 people who applied and mm-hmm. that was from around the world. Okay. And so, um, it included indigenous peop- uh, skaters from, um, South America, from, uh, New Zealand and from around North America. And yeah, so it was really just a matter of, hey, do you know anybody else we should include to, mm-hmm. to get this mm-hmm. information? And then it was, um, okay, who can actually go to the World Cup, who can actually go to England and make it there. And so, yeah, I think there was were some limiting factors there too. And so we also tried to uh, fundraise to help people out in um, getting there and supporting each other in mm-hmm. that regard. Um, and then, yeah, so... And that doesn't answer that question.
3: That's okay. <laughs> so like, um, how why did the how did the idea come about?
1: Uh I think just taking it back to the exposure, it was more of just why does questioning why we only have countries represented in mm-hmm. sports, why it only needs to be uh designated entity why we can't include other people who represent these other nations um whether they be tiny or our original nations um Mm -hmm. so i shouldn't i don't know if original is the right word but people who were here before these other nations existed Mm -hmm. so being able to include other voices and other representations that aren't just mainstream culture so yeah
2: did you like did the team experience like any pushback from WFTDA about this, or was were they like pretty stoked to have team Indigenous?
1: So the World Cup isn't run by right. the w- WFTDA. It yeah. was run through um, what is it, Blood and Thunder? I think there's a Nations Committee uh, as part of. The- Uh, the world cup. And so Mick and jumpy really advocated for why we should be included. And Mm -hmm. so, yes, there was pushback, but it was a matter of um, filling out the paperwork that they set up as the guidelines for a team that needed to be, or was a rightful entity, I guess. I don't know the right phrase for that, but there are specific guidelines that people need to meet to skate as a part of a Mm -hmm. nation um, designated by the world cup nations committee. I think that's what it's called. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> some of it is included to like, you must be X amount of blood or like your father or mother or right. or something like that. I forget what the exact wording is, but yeah, so it, there was pushback and it was a matter of semi needing to provide that. And so a lot of, some of the discussions that we had were, well, a lot of the skaters can't necessarily provide that. Some some nations don't show that you're a member of the tribe for whatever reason, or you can't prove it, or you're not a recognized nation by the, the United States or something like that. So for various different reasons, somebody might not have been able to provide that documentation. And we were willing to push back if they ever asked, but luckily they didn't ask once we were there <laughs> um so yeah so that was definitely a concern for some of our skaters going to segue slightly off of that but
2: not focusing specifically on taos um i know that like surprisingly in canada because we think of canada as like this beacon of hope and like everything's shiny and, bright, yeah. and it's like subtext only for white people um i know in canada and parts of the united states obviously there's a lot of issues with indigenous women going missing yeah i Um, wanted to talk about this yes i'm really
3: i mean i'm not excited about it but i'm like no this is like super interesting
2: very important because I feel like there's not enough attention being brought to this and then when attention is brought to it Mm -hmm. the the person is found dead yes and like there's there's so many issues with this and i we i want to hear it like i want to hear your thoughts and everything
1: yeah so speaking specifically about a phrase for it or whatever so indigenous women are disproportionately impacted by domestic violence and um at rates much much higher than any other population within the U.S. and Canada and so speaking of Canada specifically in 2015 I believe they launched an investigation or a, I forget the word for it um
3: I think it's a task force
1: Task force. That wasn't the word I was looking for, but I yeah, think it, it is. essentially was. Yeah. Um, so th- they they set up a task force to investigate why this is happening or what this phenomenon is. Um, so not necess- not much came of it necessarily, but also not much was surprising from it. Basically, a lot of the cases related to Native women go cold. Mm-hmm. Um, so. If somebody is reported missing, not a lot happens because of it. Not a lot of people pay attention to it. And then if somebody is found, not a lot of investigation goes into why somebody went missing or was found. Mm. Jurisdiction is a huge issue. Being the big nerd that I am, uh, <laughs> this is. I originally wanted to go into Native American and tribal law, but decided I didn't like writing, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So jurisdiction is a huge issue um, in terms of native nations or sovereign nations. It's very much akin to uh, a state within the U S. So a native tribe might not have the same jurisdiction as a state in the sense of like, there's no representation in the same way, but in terms of being able to have their own government and uh, have their own police force or have their own, um, courts or court systems or anything like that. Um, so yeah, a lot of this, a lot of these tribes don't have the resources to investigate things like that. So if something happens on tribal lands and if a white man commits a crime, then, uh, the tribal government might might not have the authority to, uh, pursue that. So mm-hmm. it's just a lot of, lot of overlapping issues and if you're interested in reading a really good book about it you can Louise Erdrich has a really awesome book called The Roundhouse that it's uh complete fiction but it's not complete fiction it is a fictional it's a novel but um but it's very much about all of this and understanding it from from a perspective that isn't just like these are the laws these are the issues so Mm
3: -hmm. I know in grad school when I went there was a unfortunately there was a huge lack of education about tribal laws in terms of like social work like that's always like a very specific like part yeah um of practice so they won't teach you anything about it um but they're always like oh yeah and all of the native american things you know like at the end of a sentence and you're like cool but like how how are we expected to go um i mean there's a lot of discussion amongst the students about like you know, I mean most of us are like white kids being educated and how can we help people that we're supposed to be helping and learning how to help um if we have no idea how to interact with the culture or the laws or being respectful mm-hmm. um and not like it's just really it's messy. Yeah. I I was going to ask
2: a question and then listening to you, I'd say their part um it kind of occurred to me that it's probably a double-edged sword where i feel like the question was going to be can the local government the tribal government somehow like give a pass to the like this the police or something to come and investigate and then i realized that that could be a double-edged sword because like you want to have your own sovereignty and you want to have like you want to be recognized for what you are as a culture as a people as a group and you don't want to give over that power, but you also might want justice for this person?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it is a. It, th- that's a good question. Um, the federal government still has jurisdiction to some mm-hmm. extent and can come in and assist, but again, there aren't that many resources right. to <laughs> help in these matters, so hence the reason why a lot of these cases that we we're talking about com- go completely unsolved or mm-hmm. unpursued and also going back to the resource issue of individuals not being able to help themselves mm-hmm. um, a lot of people don't have the money to pay for an attorney or pay for anybody to pursue any legal action even if they do find information about something so right. it's yeah it's a lot of tied up issues
3: moving kind of connected to that so you team indigenous is doing a lot of work in these, areas about um issues that are currently impacting indigenous people around the world so can you tell us a little bit about like the panels that you guys have been holding
1: sure yeah so last year at RollerCon, uh i wasn't there for this but last year at RollerCon, um mick and jumbi had done a panel uh on uh indigenous people's indigenous rights and um and then we're doing it again this year at RollerCon I believe um don't quote me on that <laughs> as far as I know we are um so yeah it's it's really a matter of raising awareness about issues facing uh, our communities and how other people can be allies and help also um and also Jumpy has been doing a really amazing job being an advocate for um, native issues in Maine specifically and women's issues in Maine. So um, I can't speak directly about what she's doing off the top of my head. I'm That's like okay. blanking at the moment. That's, okay. <laughs> That's fine. But, but yeah. So if you're going to RollerCon, feel free to stop by and look at the schedule for the panel. Well,
2: I th- I think like <laughs> what team indigenous did to help kind of pave the way for the quote unquote Stateless or placeless people, so to speak, um, can, like, really kind of give people a home that they created for themselves in a team. And I think that can be, like, really important for people who are displaced into different countries or areas, such as, like, the Romani, wherever they're scattered through Europe. This is a good way for them to, like, if they want to partake in roller derby, they have a foundation because Team Indigenous paved the way to go. We're from all over. We have different cultures and you know our bloodlines go to you know indigenous Mm -hmm. and we were able to make a team and we were able to make a community and a home out of this and you can do that too yeah and I think that's really important because across the world there's so many people who are displaced and giving them a way to create a community is a great way for them to start rebuilding their lives and their families
1: Yeah. yeah for sure That's my thought. I think that you put that perfectly.
2: (laughs) I I had a lot of thoughts about because you were talking about the Kurds and I was thinking like, oh, right. Like, you know, there's the Romani. There's a lot of people in Myanmar right now and that whole area of Burma, Thailand, where they're completely displaced Mm -hmm. and they're just technically considered like stateless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. with no actual citizenship but like no it there there is a home for them but they have to find it for themselves and yeah you team indigenous shows that there is a way to do that i mean yeah. yes it's through roller derby not everybody has access to
3: Are the, the olympics now yeah. the olympics now but not that they're the greatest like yeah but like i mean some and in some ways you can the olympics is showing that like you can also have a home. Like you yeah. you can be represented. Somewhere. Well, I think
2: like sport across the board. Yeah. Yes. Sport can be inclusive. And I think what Team Indigenous did is really awesome because it shows how inclusivity can, you know, bring people from all over the world together. Yeah. Just because you're indigenous. Yeah. And that's super cool and we
1: to roller me. skate. <laughs> and you roller skate.
2: And you like hip check your best friends. So Yeah. Thanks for listening to our interview with Daryl. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, opinions, thoughts, ideas, we would love to hear them on uh, Podcast at gmail.com or at Podcast on Instagram or at podcast on the Facebooks. Friends, please, please, please. You ready?
3: Oh, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be a dick.